Today on The Matt Wall Show, a Hollywood actress delivers a groveling apology to the mob despite having done absolutely nothing wrong. That always goes well, doesn't it? Meanwhile, a prominent psych- psychiatrist who publicly fantasized about murdering white people doubled down and refused to apologize. This happened on the same day. What can we learn from this interesting contrast? Also, five headlines, including an MSNBC analyst saying that she saw some American flags over the weekend and was disturbed by them. That's a direct quote. Also, the Biden administration officially adopts the birthing people label to describe women. And Trump says he's considering Ron DeSantis as a VP in 2024. I think that's a terrible idea, and I'll explain. Plus, in our daily cancellation, the actress Monique gets into some hot water for criticizing people for dressing like slobs in public. But she's right, of course. There is a slob epidemic in America. And we'll talk about that and much more today on The Matt Wall Show. Welcome again to the show. Quick note to begin. Uh, This show has grown quite a bit over the past year or so. Granted, we had nowhere to go but up when we started with me screaming at my dashboard in my car. But even so, we are uh, now one of the fastest growing podcasts in the country. And we'd like to keep it going. And one way you can help us do that is to go to iTunes. Sorry, that's Apple Podcasts. I've been told that only boomers call it iTunes now. So go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and very important, if you like the show, leave a five-star review. That's a, that is one thing you could do to really help the show. I'm over here raising money for Abuelas, so frankly, this is the least you can do for me. You owe me. Now, on to the topic at hand. And it's a topic that begins, sadly, with another I told you so. Um, Ellie Kemper is a popular Hollywood actress and star of the unbreakable Kimmy Kimmy Schmidt and other things I haven't seen. You may recall last week when photos resurfaced, quote unquote, i.e. were searched for and found and posted by someone with a a vendetta of Kemper at the age of 19 in 1999, taking part in something called the Veiled Prophet Ball. She had the honor of being crowned the Queen of Love and Beauty, a title that many people in the audience often apply to me as it happens. 22 years later, it was decided by the woke mob that the event was actually racist and was, in fact, not only racist, but a literal KKK event. That was the claim. The woke mob last week began calling Kemper a KKK princess and slandering her as a member of the Klan. This was all completely made up. Ellie Kemper, star of The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, is, as it turns out, not a member of the Klan. Who would have thought? The event was not Klan-affiliated at all, even a little. It also wasn't racist. Apparently, the Veiled Prophets Ball had been around since the 19th century, and it used to exclude black people and Jews. But it integrated in 1979. That's a year before Kemper was even born. And there's no reason that she would have known about that as a 19-year-old who just wanted to wear a fancy dress and go to a ball. And even if she did know about it, so what? Literally any institution that's been around for more than a century will have a history of of unenlightened racial views. And that's not just the case in America, but everywhere. Okay, take any institution created in the 19th century or earlier, and you will find that the people who established it had views on race, and not just on race, but everything else, that we would find objectionable today. So by the standard being applied to Kemper, anyone affiliated with any event or institution or organization or function that existed for more than a few decades should apologize. I mean, we could start with anyone who's ever attended a professional baseball game. 
Do you know, I'm sure you know about the, the history of professional baseball and race. You ever gone to one of those games? I, I'll need your apologies in writing. You're basically a member of the KKK. But I don't say any of this in order to defend Ellie Kemper. I say it only because it's true. I'm simply telling you the facts. As I said last week, I'm, I'm not interested in defending Ellie Kemper because she's been a vocal proponent of BLM. She has helped to feed the beast. She has bowed to the altar of the race hustlers. She has contributed to our race, current racial hysteria. And this is the consequence. And as if to prove my point even further, Kemper yesterday issued the expected apology. And it, it is as groveling and sycophantic and nauseating as you might anticipate. Kneeling before her slanderers and apologizing for having done absolutely nothing wrong, Kemper wrote in part, quote, uh, The century-old organization that hosted the debutante ball had an unquestionably racist, sexist, and elitist past. I was not aware of the history at the time, but ignorance is not an excuse. I was old enough to have educated myself before getting involved. At the same time, I acknowledge that because of my race and my privilege, I am the beneficiary of a system that has dispensed unequal justice and unequal rewards. There's a very natural temptation when you become the subject of internet criticism to tell yourself that your detractors are getting it all wrong. But at some point last week, I realized that a lot of the focus, or a lot of the forces behind the criticism are forces that I've spent my life supporting and agreeing with. If my experience is an indication that organizations and institutions with past that fall short of these beliefs should be held to account, then I have to see this experience in a positive light. Well, yes, there it is. She stumbled on the truth, but drew the wrong conclusion from it. She says that the people attacking her are people she spent her life supporting and agreeing with. Exactly, Ellie. You supported them, and to thank you for your support, they tore you to shreds as sport. They tried to ruin your life and your career for nothing. Nobody was actually upset about Ellie Kemper. Nobody cared. No one was offended by this ball that no one had even heard of before last week. None of them cared. It didn't mean anything to them. But they thought they'd ruin your life anyway, or tried to. Maybe that should tell you something, Ellie, about those people and their causes. She also says that ignorance is no excuse, which is a common refrain uh, in these gutless, self-flagellating apologies. But in fact, just so you know, ignorance is a great excuse. It's actually one of the best excuses you can offer for something. In this case, there's nothing to be excused for because, again, she didn't do anything wrong by attending the ball. Yet putting that aside, just as a general concept, if someone does something that's actually wrong and they don't know that it's wrong, they're ignorant, um, and they didn't intend to do anything wrong, then their ignorance would, in fact, mitigate their moral culpability significantly. Depending on what the thing is, it may not get them off the hook entirely in terms of consequences, but it is an excuse and a pretty good one. I only make this point because the ignorance is no excuse thing goes hand in hand with the idea that intent doesn't matter. You know, if you say or do something and someone else feels offended by it, all that matters is how they feel. Your own personal intentions are irrelevant. And that's totally backwards. But this is all a mood point. Kemper apologized. And in apologizing, she admits guilt. She essentially confesses to a sin she didn't commit. That's what happens when you apologize. 
It's like if you're if you're brought in for murder, and you're you know in the in the in the interrogation room with the cops, and you didn't commit murder, but you start apologizing to them. Oh dear God, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Well, that's going to be seen as an admission of guilt. So she assumed guilt that is not her own in order to appease the mob, a mob which cannot be appeased and which will still happily rip her to pieces and throw her into the trash because she is nothing to them. So that happened. It could be educational, meanwhile, to compare this story to another one unfolding at the same time. We discussed yesterday the controversy surrounding Dr. Aruna Kilanani, a prominent psychiatrist who gave a lecture to the Yale School of Medicine, which was one long racist diatribe against white people. The most racist part of the racist rant, and it's actually kind of hard to pick the most racist part because the entire thing is racist, but uh, the most racist part probably is when she confessed to having a strong urge to shoot white people in the head. And she says that she could do this, blow a white person's brains out just because they're white, and walk away whistling joyously with a pep in her step. In other words, she is a murderous, bloodthirsty, insane, anti-white bigot and is proud of it. The audio of this lecture was posted online. Uh, Deserved outrage ensued. None of that outrage coming from the left, of course. And yesterday, around the time that Ellie Kemper was apologizing for going to a dance in 1999, Dr. Aruna came out with her own statement, doubling down and refusing to apologize. She wrote, quote, Too much of the discourse on race is a dry, bland regurgitation of new vocabulary words with no work in the unconscious. And if you want to hit the unconscious, you will have to feel real negative feelings. My speaking metaphorically about my own anger was a method for people to reflect on negative feelings, to normalize negative feelings, because if you don't, it will turn into a violent action. Something is emotionally dangerous about opening up a conversation about race. No one wants to look at their actions or face their own negative feelings about what they're doing. The best way to control the narrative is to focus on me and make me the problem, which is what I stated occurs in the dynamic of racism. My work is important and I stand by it. We need to heal in this country. She stands by it. She stands by her desire to shoot white people in the face. In fact, more than stands by it, she wants to normalize those feelings. She wants uh, more people to talk about She she wants them to be unashamed to talk about it publicly. Not only is she not sorry, she's proud. Her work with hating white people and wanting to kill white people is important, she says, and it it will heal the country. There you have it. The woman who did nothing wrong and was smeared as a racist apologized. The woman who actually is a racist, and proudly so, does not apologize. And the reason it works this way is that the real crime Ellie Kemper committed, what's the real crime? It's that she's white. Being white is the crime. That, in the end, is what she was apologizing for. It's what the mob wants all white people to apologize for and keep apologizing forever. And you can play that game if you want. You can live your life on your knees, begging constantly for forgiveness for sins you didn't commit. Or you can look the mob square in the face and say, go to hell. I apologize for nothing. Those are really your only two choices now. There is no in-between road available. And I know which one I choose. Now let's get to our five headlines. 
Now a word from my pillow. You know, I had a my pillow related uh, catastrophe um, or emergency a couple days ago because I, I couldn't find my my pillow. I went a few days without it sleeping, couldn't find it anywhere, and then I discovered that one of my kids had stolen it and went off to their room with it. And of course, I, I took it back and I gave them the bad pillow. Took the my pillow for myself because it's important for me to be the. I have to be the one who gets the most sleep. I'm, you know, I'm bringing in the bacon anyway. So. Um, the reason why you need a MyPillow, just like I do, is that uh, they don't go flat. You can wash and dry them as many times as, as uh, you need to, and they maintain their shape. And best of all, they're made right here in the USA. If you don't have a MyPillow or you know someone who doesn't, now's the time to get one because for a limited time, MyPillow is offering their premium MyPillows for their lowest price ever. You can get a queen-size premium MyPillow, which is normally $69.98 for only $29.98. That's $40 in savings. Kings are only $5 more. Now's the time to buy. Not only are you getting the lowest price ever, but they're the best gifts ever also. So go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square. Use promo code DAILYWIRE. You also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and MyPillow towel sets. Or call 800-951-7163 and use promo code DAILYWIRE. Visit MyPillow.com now or call 800-951-7163. Okay, so... We'll start here. Actually, I wanted to I wanted to to, to uh, play this during the opening, but I didn't have time. Speaking of the racist, murderous psychiatrist, um, here is I just want to show you. This is an example of the kind of stuff this wacko puts out there, um, and it's 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 this is why it's important. It's not just the kind of thing that this whack job puts out there into the world. It's what a lot of psychiatrists and, and quote, mental health professionals are saying and telling their patients. So let's just watch this. So part of the disconnect in white culture is that Americans think that they're at the top of the food chain and the most free. So white female therapists often need to think of themselves as very feminist. So they don't really actually have an idea that women from other countries are actually doing really well. They're incredibly educated. They held high status jobs and they coming here, they actually had to take a, a, a lower cut, an inferior job. I would point this racism out to your therapist. Um, people often think that coming to America is a step up and that is often how white America views it. Um, and for many immigrants, they actually had to step down, lose their titles, lose status, make enormous sacrifices that were incredibly harmful. Also, white therapists don't often understand that immigrant parents tolerate the trauma of racism on a level that they never had before they left their home country. Mm. Okay. First of all, put a damn battery in your smoke detector, lady. Um, do you not know how to change the batteries in your smoke detector? Some women don't, I've heard. Uh, second, more important, I, I guess a, a couple of questions arise here. And the first one is, uh, it, com coming to America is a step down. It, we egotistical, arrogant white Americans, we assume that, uh, that coming to America is a step up for immigrants. You know, it, it, and how, how could we possibly arrive at that conclusion? What, where, where do we get off uh, making that assumption? Well, I don't know. Maybe because they're coming here. Maybe because they chose to leave where they were living before and come here. You know, and so I, I would assume that for them it's a step up. 
If it's not a step up, why are they here? Maybe that's the reason. So explain to me, Doc, if it's a step down, then why the hell are they here? I will just say this to anyone. If you came to this country and you've discovered that it's a step down, you're, you're welcome to go back to wherever you came from. And that's, that's what I would do. If I left my home country and went somewhere else and I discovered that I had stepped down in the world, I would just go back. What are you doing here in that case? See, they, they want to have it both ways when it comes to immigration. They want to say we, you know, we should throw open the, uh, the, the floodgates, throw open the doors, erase the borders, invite everybody in. And if we don't do that, it's like a human rights violation. We're, we're, we're committing a, you know, a grievous sin against these immigrants who want to come here. So they want to say that on one hand, but on the other hand, they also want to say that it's a step down. Their country's better anyway. It's racist here. It's so much more racist and they're, they're persecuted even more. No, you got to pick a lane. It's one or the other. Because if it's a step down and we're horrible to immigrants and there's so much racism and everything is bad and everything is terrible and all the minorities here are just exhausted all the time by the persecution and everything they suffer, then that's all the more reason to close the borders and say, no, don't come here. It's bad here. Go back to where you came from. It'd be a lot better for you. In fact, in that case, it's a, I think it's a, it's a, it would be an act of generosity and charity to close the borders down. So you really got to pick a lane, but they never do. That it's really on every issue. They want to have it both ways. It, it's, it's all, and this is one of the advantages of being a relativist is that there is no objective truth. So the truth is whatever you need it to be in the moment. So depending on what the discussion is about, if the discussion is about the border, specifically in immigration, then yeah, this is a better life and let everybody come. If the discussion is about systemic racism, then America is a hellhole. You know, it just, it really depends. It's whatever they need it to be in the moment. It doesn't matter if their talking points line up uh, with each other. And she says that, that um, you know, there's more racism here than in the countries where these people are coming from. Really? Can, can, you, can you tell me which... Let's talk for a second about, you know, I, because I assume we're talking about non-white, predominantly non-white countries. I mean, if these are immigrants who are coming here and experience racism, then I assume we're not talking about immigrants from, you know, from a, from a predominantly white country. Um, even though, of course, immigrants from predominantly white countries in the, in the past have come here, for example... Irish immigrants, Italian, have come here and experienced bigotry. But I assume that's not what she's talking about. So um, I guess I would, I would like to know, give me an example of a predominantly non-white country somewhere else in the world that is more racially tolerant than the United States of America, that is more racially enlightened and tolerant than the United States of America. Can you give me an example? Because I don't think you can. I really don't. G- give, give me an example of a non-white country that is more accepting of, of diversity, more progressive, more racially tolerant than the United States. 
I mean, wh- where are these countries that you're referring to? And where, in fact, you can be even more successful and you can climb the ladder even better and live the dream. And the problem is, if you can name that country, then again, the question remains, why would anyone leave there to come here? All right, let's go to number two. Mara Gay, who uh, we mentioned last week for some dumb thing she said, and I can't even remember what it was, but it doesn't matter. She was on MSNBC saying more dumb things, and uh, this time she had some thoughts on the American flag. Now, I I saw this clip being posted on, on Twitter by conservatives, and they were quoting her as saying that that she saw the American flag and it was disturbing her. And I actually, I don't know, I'm still optimistic and I try to see the best in people. You know that about me. So I actually, I, before I clicked on the clip, I thought, eh, you know, are they, did she really say that exactly? Or is she just sort of implying it? Did she actually come out and say that directly? Um, I even had a little bit of skepticism, but it, it turns out, no, that's exactly what she said. Let's listen. The reality is here that uh, we have a large percentage of the American population. I don't know how big it is, but we have tens of millions of Trump voters who uh, continue to believe that their rights as citizens are under threat by simple virtue of having to share the democracy with others. Um, I think as long as they see Americanness as the same as one with whiteness, this is going to continue. We have to figure out how to get every American a place at the table in this democracy, but how to separate Americanness, America, from whiteness. Until we can confront that and talk about that, this is really going to continue. I was on Long Island this weekend uh, visiting a really dear friend, and I was really disturbed. I saw you know, dozens and dozens of pickup trucks with uh, you know, uh, explicatives against Joe Biden uh, on the back of them, yep. uh, Trump yep. flags, and some cases just dozens of American flags, which, you know, uh, is also just disturbing because essentially the message was clear. It was, this is my country. Okay. So she saw pickup trucks with, with, uh, all you have to do is laugh at the, it's all you can do is just laugh. She saw pickup trucks and she was disturbed. And she saw American flags and she was disturbed. Just think about the bubble these people live in. They, they, they really do. You know, that's not just some populist cliche, but these are elitists who live in a bubble. And they go outside of that bubble and they are horrified by normal things like pickup trucks. I'm just imagining Mara Gay, you know, walking down the street, seeing a pickup truck and crumpling down on the sidewalk in in tears. Oh, my God. What is that thing? What is that? Um, And she was disturbed by the American flag as well. She's very clear about that. You know, we think back to Colin Kaepernick when he began his protest after he was benched and, you know, his NFL career was falling apart. And and, and that's when he discovered his... uh, his passion for social justice and activism. Total coincidence, of course. But And uh, he started doing his whole thing. And we were originally told that, that it was not a protest of the flag. It's not a protest of the anthem. It's all a protest of, uh, of police brutality. I mean, for years, that's what we were told. Meanwhile, many of us, mostly on the right, 
we, we, we from the very beginning pegged this as, no, he's protesting the flag. That's what he's doing. Um, this is not about police brutality. And for years and years, the left told us that's, that's, uh, that's a libelous charge. It's not true. Well, now they're pretty open about it. They actually just hate the flag itself and they hate what it represents. They hate the fact that when someone's flying the flag, they're saying, this is my country. Well, yeah, Mara, that, that is what they're saying. And it is their country. Okay, if you're an American, it's your country. They're Americans. They're flying the American flag. Now let's go here. Number three, Trump was on Fox yesterday and he was asked about the possibility of, uh, of having Ron DeSantis as his vice presidential, as his running mate in 2024. And he said he was, he was open to the idea. First, let's listen to Trump uh, talking about that. If you were to run for the presidency in 2024, would you consider Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, as your running mate? Sure, I would. But, you know, there are numerous people that are great. I would certainly consider Ron. I was I was at the beginning of Ron. I was the first one to endorse him when he came out as a congressman that a lot of people didn't know. And my endorsement helped him tremendously. And I know him very well. He's a great guy. We have other great people. I mean, you look at some of the people that Republican people that have done a great job with states. And you don't see that with the Democrats. I mean, they kept their states closed and locked down. And the schools are closed. It's just absolutely outrageous how they get away with it. Uh, yeah. I, I just want to say, now, I mean, there's no indication that, that Ron DeSantis is interested in this. And in fairness, he was, he was asked, would you consider him? And so he said, yeah. And uh, what else is he going to say? He's not going to say, no, I wouldn't consider it. So can't blame him for giving that answer. Um, this this is far from concern from confirming that it's an actual thing that's that 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 might happen, and I would assume that Ron DeSantis wouldn't be on board for that. I I hope he wouldn't because th- this would be a terrible idea to have Ron DeSantis as Trump's running mate. Talk about a waste of talent. You're going to take the most effect- effective executive level politician, effective governor in the country. I mean, the most effective Republican politician at any level, I think, and make him a figurehead, make him a a vice president who does does nothing. Terrible idea. And the reason it's worth addressing is because I see this a lot online. There's there's definitely a feeling out there among Trump supporters that they would love to see this happen. I see a lot of Trump DeSantis 2024 things online. Terrible, awful idea. If DeSantis is not running in 2024, if he's not interested in being president or running for president in 2024, then he needs to stay governor of Florida, where he's done such a a phenomenal job. The last thing we need is for him to be vice president for Trump. And the other thing also to keep in mind is that Trump has an extensive history of uh, hiring people to work for him. And then within a few years, he hates that person. And they're at each other's throats and, and all of that. I mean, that's, that's the way it almost always goes with like every person Trump hires who's not in his family. I know you might, you might be able to think of a few exceptions, but not many. And if that were to happen to DeSantis, it would just sort of sully his political brand. And, um, and that's the last thing we need. Now, what really needs to happen is Ron DeSantis 
if he decides he wants to stay governor of Florida, that's fine. But if he's interested, then Ron DeSantis should run in 2024 and he should be the guy. And Donald Trump, if he cares about the cause, if he cares about the movement, he would get behind DeSantis, not as vice president, but he would endorse him and tell all of his supporters to go to Ron DeSantis. You know, DeSantis is, is the future of the Republican Party. Donald Trump, who would be 78 in 2024, is not. Um, and putting everything else aside, I, I have been very clear and consistent that I do not think, and I said this with Biden, and it wasn't just because it's Biden. There are a lot of reasons to oppose Biden, and there were um, during the campaign, but we could just start and end it with his age. 78 years old is way too old, and we're seeing this right now. 78 years old is way too old to run for president. It just is. You're going you're gonna to be turning 80 in the presidency. That, that is old for a pope, okay? That's even like pope-level old. And if it, if it counts as old for a pope, it's, old, it's too old for a president. And I know the response is that, well, Trump is different and he's got a lot more energy and everything. Yeah, he does, but uh, he is a mortal human being like the rest of us. And there are just physical realities. And one of them is that your mind and your body deteriorate as you get older. And when you get into your 80s or close to it, that process really kicks into high gear for everyone. You don't, you, there's no getting no, away from that or around it. So let's not do that, please. More political news. The Biden administration is now officially referring to women as birthing people. So here's Biden in uh, their, their budget proposal. He says, uh, talking about his, bu- his budget rep- proposal, just reading the language, it says, it reduces the maternal mortality rate and ends race-based disparities in maternal mortality. The United States has the highest maternal mortality rate among developed nations with an unex- unacceptably high mortality rate for black, American Indian, Alaskan Native, and other women of color. To help end this high rate of maternal mortality and race-based disparities and outcomes among birthing people, and then it goes it goes from there. Uh, birthing people. Now, of course, he still uses the word maternal, and you know, maternal it maternal means relating to a mother. <laughs> That's what it means. So you can still say that, but you can't say mother anymore. We have to say birthing people. The Democrat Party continuing to. Um, erase women. I mean, in a, in, a, in, a, in a very literal sense or as literal as they possibly can. They are, they are trying to destroy and undermine the concept of womanhood. And for so long, we've, feminists have accused Republicans of doing that. You're erasing women. And here's here's what that and, and for a long time, when uh, when feminists and the left accuse Republicans of doing that, and of course it was totally nonsense. But I, along probably with you, I, I always thought, well, what do you mean erasing women? What would that even look like? Oh, okay. Well, this is what it looks like, and it's uh, pretty disturbing. The American flag is not disturbing, but this is. All right. Next we have. Um, Greta Thunberg issued another proclamation condemning all of us for our selfishness. And she does this periodically. Periodically, I mean like three times a week. 
So it, this is a long one. It went on for like five minutes. Um, but we'll play a little bit of it. And, and this portion I thought was funny, primarily just because she talks about the thoughts and feelings of fish and how we have to respect their thoughts and feelings. So let's listen. And finally, the animals. Every year we kill more than 60 billion animals, excluding fish whose numbers are so great that we only measure their lives by weight. What about their thoughts and feelings? Some animals plan for the future, forge friendships that last for decades. They play, they help each other. They show signs of what we call empathy. But 70% of the animals we farm live inside factories. In the United States, that number is 99%. Their lives are short and terrible. How will we be judged? It is heartbreaking to know all this, but it is also our opportunity. We know what we can do. We can change the way we farm. We can change what we eat. We can change how we treat nature. Some of us have lots of choices, while some have none at all. Those with the most power have the most responsibility. And most of us can do something. So, what will you do? Um, nothing. I'm not going to do anything. I'm, just, I'm being totally honest with you. Greta, I'm not going to do anything at all about these problems that you have outlined. Um, and I'm not even denying that some of them, you know, uh, in a perfect world, would I, if I were setting up my perfect world, would it include factory farming? No. What am I going to do about it? Nothing, really. Um, and part of that is, you know, you people have taken this on as your cause. But it, it's, and there's, it's, there are a lot of, you know, a lot of complaints, a lot of criticisms, but really short on solutions. So just saying we can change, let's change the way we eat. Let's change this and that. Well, in what way exactly? And you got to be real specific. Because, we, we, you know, we got a lot of people to feed in this country. 300 plus million, 330 million people. And counting, especially because, as we discussed earlier, the borders being porous, people, people, more and more people pouring in here every day. And that's more and more people to feed. A lot of, a lot of mouths to feed. So what's your plan for making sure that all those people get fed? Cicadas? You you think we're all going to live on worms? I mean, what is your plan exactly? And uh, also, just so you know, uh, fish don't don't really have thoughts or feelings at all. Um, They're they're basically like biological machines. So you don't you don't have to worry too much about how the fish are feeling because they're not really feeling anything. They, they, don't, they don't have the neurological equipment for that. All right. You know who... who uh, here, here's a group that, that does have feelings. That would be uh, babies, little children. That's something the left probably needs to be reminded. So I want to do a little parenting advice here quickly before we move on to uh, YouTube comments. Emily uh, Radajkowski, whose name I can never pronounce exactly, but she's a super supermodel. She just had a baby three months ago. And she's back to posting... 
video or, or f- photos of herself in bikinis. She's, she's back and pose, posing in bikinis again. And we have the photo. Here she is. This was on uh, Sports Illustrated posted this. And here she is holding her three-month-old baby, her son. I, think it's, I believe that's her son. And I could be wrong about this. But didn't she say, wasn't she one of the people who said that she's going to raise her kid to be gender neutral or something? Maybe I'm wrong. I think she said that. This doesn't look like a gender neutral kid to me. But more to the point, okay, so she's got the bikini on. She's showing off the bikini bod, holding her baby there as an accessory. But the way she's holding that baby, I just want you to know. Okay, and it's, it's a problem when I'm the one who has to give these lessons on how to hold babies. Well, I've had four of them, so I've learned a thing or two. You do not hold a baby like that. Someone teach this chick how to hold a baby. She's going to cause serious damage to this child. This is, you know, how she, she's holding the kid. This is how my one-year-old holds her baby dolls. My one-year-old will walk around the house holding her baby doll like that, around with her arm like that, like basically around the neck. And sometimes she'll vary in a very nurturing way. She'll be feeding her fake uh, baby bottle to the baby doll. And then she'll get bored and she'll just chuck the baby doll across the room. I hope that uh, Emily doesn't do that to her kid. But anyway, you don't hold a baby like that. Way too much pressure. You need to support the neck. This is a three-month-old kid. They don't have all the muscles and everything in the neck to hold their heads up. And their heads, you know, babies, their heads are way too big for their bodies. So that's why you got to put a lot of support behind the neck. And in the photo on the right there, she's putting way too much pressure on his left arm. I mean, you're going to rip his arm out of its socket. That just concerns me as a parent. But this is what happens when uh, you see your child more as a fashion accessory than as a human being. All right, let's move on now to reading the YouTube comments. Mateo says... Speaking of the Abuela fundraiser, this is officially the nicest internet troll of all time. Is Matt's heart thawing after all this time? Well, like we said yesterday, it's it's the nicest. It's also the meanest. It's nice. It's mean. It's petty. It's generous. Generous. It's it's all of those things at once. It is all things to all people. Um, another comment says a ton of people saying this was a huge fail, etc. Don't listen to them. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, there is a there is a minority of voices on the right, especially. Now, of course, people on the left were upset about it because they were going to be upset no matter what I do. But a minority of voices on the right who have been very critical of the Abuela fundraiser, very critical of it and very outraged and offended that I did it. And uh, but they could never quite they could never quite settle on what their criticism was, what problem they had with it. What I kept hearing over and over again over the, over the last few days, what I've heard a million times from some people on the right is, uh, what are you, I've heard two things. First of all, what, what are you raising money for the enemy? Okay, uh, Abuela is not my enemy. She's a sweet old woman, presumably. She, uh, AOC's grandmother is not my enemy. That's the first thing. And the other thing I heard is, what are you doing this, this for when there are all these other issues that, that need our attention? Why is this the most important thing to you? Why are you talking about this rather than this thing over here? And whenever someone goes for that, you know they're just, they're grasping for a criticism. So I think there's some people on the right, they don't like me for whatever reason. I can't imagine why they wouldn't like me. Um, and so they, they see that we're doing this 
and that it's successful and it's getting some attention. And they want to not like it, and they're looking for a reason. And so they go with, what are you doing that instead of this thing? That is always the lamest criticism. Yes, at any, you see, at any given moment of time as humans, um, we choose one thing or another to do or to talk about. We can't do everything all at once. We can't talk about everything all the time. And just because I'm talking about this one thing or doing this one thing in this moment, it doesn't mean I'm saying it's the most important thing in the world. In fact, all of us spend much of our days doing and saying things that are not the most important things. It'd be like if I, you know, if I saw you, I don't know, uh, eating a, a bologna sandwich and I ran up to you and said, what are you doing sitting here eating a bologna sandwich? And I had a whole list of other things you could be doing with your time in that moment. It's just the weirdest criticism. Uh, let's see. Mrs. Lopez says, no relation, or maybe there is a relation, I don't know. I knew regardless of the outcome of the GoFundMe, Matt had proven several points. One, AOC is a narcissistic, selfish, and ungrateful politician. Two, she didn't want a solution. She just used her abuela to strike political points. Three, the left is obsessed with blaming Donald Trump for everything. Four, Matt Walsh is a genius. Well, I'll take, I don't know about the first three, but uh, number four I'll take. Um... Stank Williams Jr., great screen name, sir. Username says, Matt, I'll, I'll see your honeybee toilet prank and raise you with the always hilarious Asian murder hornet pinata at a kid's birthday party. My kids just had a birthday party with a pinata. And I can tell you right now, if I filled a pinata with, with murder hornets, my sons would think it was the coolest thing ever. Uh, that wouldn't be much of a prank at all. Ashley says, troll anthropist, Matt, you're my hero. Yeah, I did coin that term. I wish I had thought of it during the show, but uh, I have now I, I want to be on the record. I'm officially coining the term troll anthropy. Uh, and I think someone should start a website like Troll Fund Me or something for trolling charity campaigns. It's pretty niche. I don't know how many campaigns there will really be, but um, Alexis says, I am 19 and recently started a nine to five. Even though I'm new here, I find that there is something so satisfying about working hard, knowing that you earned every dollar you got and that the things you buy stem from that dedication. You know that you don't owe anyone anything. I could never live in a socialist society because I would feel like a grown adult being spoon fed like a baby. And that's just not a good feeling. I get paid good money to do my job. I earn every penny not by being sloppy or complaining, but by performing my tasks to the very best of my ability with a good attitude. That's encouraging, and I'll read you one more encouraging one. Micah says, I'm 20 and started a trade in plumbing uh, a year in, and I've gotten two raises from my boss because there's such a lack of workers right now, especially in the trades. I've really started to like it and making a good amount of money while doing so. People my age need to start looking and not being afraid of studying and work. Yeah, this is a good, this is the, this is the right attitude, uh, and it's, it's, disturbing, you know, I mean, they're always, everyone is prone to laziness. You always find that, especially among young people and all people. So there's nothing especially unique about that. But what I find uh, distressing in, in younger people, especially unlike Micah and Alexis here, a lot of younger people, they don't really seem to uh, have a great desire for independence, which is so foreign to me, because I know that when I was a teenager and I had a good family life and everything, but even so, I, it was just natural. I wanted to get out there, have a job, have my own place. 
And when I finally had that, even though I wasn't making a lot of money and I lived in a crummy apartment and everything, it, it was great. I was thrilled because I had that independence. And for me, that was natural to desire that. But I think um, for a lot of younger people now, they don't have that desire. It's one of the reasons why also in my generation, we were really excited to drive. And we wanted, as soon as we hit the whatever the age requirement was in our state, we wanted to get that learner's permit. We wanted to drive. And um, you see the age of driving, not because of the laws, but because of choices. The age of, uh, of driving has gone up and up in recent years because a lot of younger people don't really care about driving. They, they have nowhere they want to go. They're fine sitting in their house. I see. I, I'm glad to see that's not the case for everyone, though. Now we check in with trust and will. You know, if you have dependents, people depend on you, children, a spouse, what have you, then uh, it's not only important to have a will, but it's really a, a moral obligation, I think. So, I think. And uh, if you want to set up a will at trustwill.com, setting up an estate plan is simple, convenient, and secure. For as little as $39, you can nominate guardians for your children. You can determine who gets your stuff and plan for future medical care, all from the comfort of your home. Trust and Will documents are designed by estate planning experts and customized for the state that you live in. And with live customer support seven days a week, trustandwill.com's team is available to, to answer any questions you have while you're setting up your plan. Trust and Will is a most trusted name in online estate planning the category leader on Trustpilot, and they've helped hundreds of thousands of people protect their families' assets and legacies. Uh, and it's very easy to do and also affordable. So if you want to gain peace of mind at trustofwill.com, then uh, go to trustofwill.com slash Walsh and get 10% off plus free shipping of your customized legal documents. Don't wait. Go right now. This is very important. Get 10% off plus free shipping at trustandwill.com slash Walsh. Again, that's trustandwill.com slash Walsh. And, uh, you know, great advances in modern technology may have made sure that a world of information is always at your fingertips. But if you don't have the Daily Wire app, that world is far from complete. Download the Daily Wire app and be the first in the know with top tier political commentary from your favorite conservatives like myself and others. You'll find uh, more than 100 news articles a month, fresh video content daily and so much more. Just subscribe to the Daily Wire, download the app, and arm yourself with the facts and logic you need for every unfortunate leftist encounter you may have in the American wild. Go there now and do that. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So the actress Monique recently got herself into hot water because of comments she made about the way, according to her, some black women dress and present themselves in public. She was inspired to offer this criticism after noticing lots of slovenly attire at the airport. And she spoke about the issue for several minutes and then did a follow-up video further explaining it. But uh, here's some of the original Instagram posts. Let's watch. And as we began to walk through the airport, I saw so many, actually too many to count and too many for me to tap. But I saw so many of our young sisters in head bonnets, scarves, slippers, pajamas, blankets wrapped around them. And this is how they're showing up to the airport. And it, I've been seeing it, not just at the airport, I've been seeing it at the store, at the mall. I've been seeing sisters showing up with these bonnets and head scarves and these slippers. And the question that I'm having to you, my sweet babies, when did we lose pride in representing ourselves? Now, after watching that, I'm beginning to think I need to start softening some of my more controversial takes by calling the audience sweet babies. Seems to work for Monique. I, something tells me it wouldn't work as well for me. As for the point she's making, she's right. 
and this isn't just about black women. This is a problem that extends equally across all sexes, all of them, all 95 sexes, all races. In fact, it's, it's maybe the one thing that still unites us as Americans. It's our one source of unity that we dress like hobos in public, especially at airports. Airports now look like refugee camps with people sprawled out all over the place, laying across seats and on the floor, wrapping themselves in old newspaper, using a half-eaten bag of chips as a pillow. Everyone's wearing pajamas. They have their shoes off, exposing their gnarled, fungus-crusted toes to the world. It's unseemly disgusting, and it's made all the worse by the fact that all of us have paid way too much money for the privilege of being tossed in with this gang of foul-smelling circus freaks. Now, you see this sort of thing everywhere, as Monique rightly points out, at the store, walking down the street, everywhere. I saw a guy the other day at the grocery store wearing fuzzy bear slippers, as in slippers that look like teddy bears, as he walked around the frozen food aisle. This man was older than me, by the way. His attire was an unholy mix of infantilizing and bedraggled, childish and disheveled. Now, for comparison, go back and look at old photos taken of any random busy pedestrian area in, say, 1935. All the men are dressed in hats and suits. All the women are wearing dresses. Everybody looks like they just came out of church all the time. Now, take that same street and get a snapshot from yesterday in the year 2021 and everyone's adorned like a bunch of nine-year-olds at a slumber party. In fact, get a snapshot of them walking out of church, what few still attend, and they probably still look like nine-year-olds at a slumber party. I saw a guy at church recently in a Batman t-shirt and shorts. If that's what he considers dressing up, I'd hate to see what he wears to the airport. Probably naked with just a bathrobe and socks with no shoes, which at least would make it easier when he goes through security, admittedly. Of course, many people, including Monique, have pointed all this out before. It's well known and understood that people go out in public looking like half-melted slugs. I mean, we become a nation of pajama-clad oafs. That much is known. But what's interesting is to compare this to the way that people present themselves online. You know, most Americans feel comfortable walking around in a three-dimensional public space with uncombed hair, unbrushed teeth, sweatpants they just pulled out of a dumpster. But most of those same people wouldn't be caught dead on Instagram looking like that. I mean, this could be an interesting experiment, if a bit stalkerish, but it would be fascinating to see a person, you know, walking out of Target, looking like they were just in there sleeping on the bathroom floor for the past nine hours, and then find that same person on Instagram and see the sort of image they put out into the world. It is guaranteed to be quite a bit different. Now, in fairness, it is easier, requires less effort to present yourself as well-kempt and attractive online because you only have to worry about what you look like for the half a second it takes to snap a picture, and then you can alter it in post if you need to. Uh, one must expend more energy for a longer period of time to look suitable in the real world. You have to do things like, you know, shower, iron your shirt, put on pants. It's not much effort, but it's some effort, and some is more than a lot of people are willing to give. But I think there's more to it. Aside from the effort, it seems that these days we simply don't value in-person interaction the way that we value our interactions with avatars online. I mean, the classic example of this that everyone points to all the time, and the most depressing also, is the infamous sight of a family at a restaurant sitting around a table silently while they all interact with strangers through their phones. I think the poor dress in public is part and parcel with this. It speaks to our inability to recognize the value of other humans and of human-to-human -human interchange unless it's mediated by a digital device. 
It's common to hear someone defend their embarrassing attire and disgusting appearance. And this is what some of the people were saying to Monique, saying that, well, you know, I don't care what anyone thinks. It's none of their business. Except that you do care what other people think. You care tremendously. It's just that you only seek approval of strangers in cyberspace. See, it's not a, a matter of ca- not caring about people's opinions. It's a matter of which people's opinions they choose to care about. And for so many, they choose the internet strangers rather than humans that they encounter face-to-face in flesh and blood. And I think that's the wrong choice. It's not just the wrong choice. It's deeply disordered and dehumanizing and demeaning to everybody involved. So please, everyone, stop walking around in public looking like hideous, unbathed ogres. My sweet babies. Also, you're all canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Koromina. Hair makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Washington State bribes potheads to get the Wu flu vax. Biden promises never to fire Dr. Fauci. And the Libertarian Party proves why we can't have nice things. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.